And if it wasn't for the Muslims, we wouldn't have a lot of the Greek texts. It was the Islamic Empire in the Middle Ages, which preserved, uh, often in Arabic, a lot of ancient texts, which were then re-adopted by um, Western Europe and translated into, into Latin and so on. My name is Tamara Lewitt, and I'm an honorary fellow in the um, School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. And my special interest is in late antiquity, period around the end of the Roman Empire in the early Middle Ages, and in particular, winemaking and oil making in the ancient world. And I also have a special interest in uh, the history and archaeology of children, um, which I got interested in by being the researcher for two children's novels written by my sister. Well, I could just add that this is Dr. Tolly. Both Greek and Roman culture, they weren't these pure, you know, cultures that existed in a vacuum. The Mediterranean was uh, had a lot of interaction, so there's a there's a lot of influence back and forth across the Mediterranean, and this has been going on since the Bronze Age. It was very much a multicultural world, wasn't it? Cultural, multi-ethnic. Um, the the influences, as you say across the entire Mediterranean, mixing together even beyond. And we see styles in, in the exhibition. We've got a little uh, what's called a Greco-Buddhist head found um, in Pakistan uh, with the, with the, the cross-fertilisation with Greek culture and the religion of Buddhism. Um, so it's very much not a kind of Western European white heritage, as it were. It's um, totally... Um, multicultural and um, with with blending and exchange of ideas um, and and migration around the Mediterranean and migration of of goods and and ideas and religions and and uh, mixing together of peoples, which is um, you know a, a really um, a really important aspect of the ancient world to remember. Golden Age of Greece, spanning roughly from 480 BCE to 404 BCE, was a pinnacle of artistic, intellectual, and political achievements. At the heart of this flourishing civilization were the Greek Isles, not just as scenic landscapes, but as dynamic crossroads where diverse cultures intersected. These islands, scattered across the Aegean Sea, were not isolated realms but bustling hubs of trade and cultural exchange. The city-state of Athens, renowned for its democratic governance and philosophical enlightenment, were surrounded by islands like Aegina, Samos, and Lesbos, each contributing to the rich mosaic of Greek civilization. The maritime nature of the Greek world facilitated connections with neighboring regions, such as Egypt, Asia Minor, and the Levant. This network of trade routes transformed the islands into melting pots of ideas, customs, and languages. It is evident that the Greeks were relative latecomers to the grand tapestry of ancient civilizations. The Minoan culture of Crete 
flourished in around 2200 BCE in its mainland counterpart, the Mycenaean culture, which rose and fell between 1450 to 1000 BCE, were precursors to what we now recognize as ancient Greece. The decline of Minoan culture, often attributed to volcanic eruptions or the mysterious Sea People, led to a precipitous decline, marking the end of an era. Similarly, the Mycenaeans fortified their cities but succumbed to the uncertainties of their age, plunging Greece into a dark age where literacy was lost. However, from the ashes emerged a cultural renaissance around 750 BCE, marked by the formulation of the Greek alphabet. The Greeks constructed their first alphabet by introducing letters for vowels in addition to letters for consonants based on Phoenician models. The Phoenicians ruled much of the Mediterranean from 1550 to 300 BCE from what is now Lebanon. It is around this time of 750 BCE when the Iliad and the Odyssey were written. The subsequent problem of authorship shrouds the Homeric epics, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Who was Homer and what role did he play in composing these monumental works? Some scholars posit that there was no single Homer, suggesting the poems were stitched together from oral fragments. Yet, the deep thematic unity within the poems challenges this notion. The prevailing view is that Homer was among the last oral poets, witnessing the rise of writing and recognizing its potential. Although not easily literate himself, he collaborated with literate individuals, possibly descendants to compose these epic poems. Homer's brilliance lies not in oral tradition, but in utilizing the preservative power of writing to create works on an unprecedented scale. The Iliad, often considered the older sibling of the two Homeric poems, serves as a portal into the tumultuous realm of the Trojan War, a conflict whose historicity remains a matter of scholarly debate. It has left an indelible mark on both ancient and modern imagination. In the latter part of the Mycenaean era, around 1200 BCE, the time of the enigmatic sea peoples, a historical kernel seems to have inspired the Homeric narratives. Some sort of siege or conflict at Troy, echoing through the time as the Trojan War, laid the foundation for these epic tales. While modern opinion has fluctuated between skepticism and the belief in the historicity of the Trojan War, it is clear that a historical event or events influenced the myths that be woven into the Iliad and the Odyssey. The traditional mythological origin of the war is more elaborate. The divine wedding, the deliberate exclusion of a minor goddess, Eris or Discord, and the infamous golden apple brought to the festivities leading to the judgment of Paris. In a scene immortalized by Renaissance painters, three goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite, for the title of the fairest. The fateful choice of Paris, who awards the apple to Aphrodite, sets the stage for a tale that transcends mere mythology and delves in the complex interplay of divine whims and human desires. Paris's choice poses a predicament for the object of Aphrodite's promise. Helen is already married to Milaneus, king of Sparta. The subsequent elopement triggers a conflict that ignites the Greek imagination and becomes the fulcrum upon which the Iliad pivots. In contemporary life, 
The influence of these ancient narratives echo in our understanding of love, conflict, and the interplay between fate and human agency. The timeless themes of desire, betrayal, and the consequences of choice continue to resonate in our literature, art, and even popular culture. Beginning of the Iliad, Agamemnon's scornful refusal to return the captured Chryseis, daughter of a priest of Apollo, sets off a chain of events that reveals the complexities of power, authority, and the clash between those recognized for their deeds and those for their positions. The ensuing conflict between Agamemnon and Achilles becomes a lens through which Homer explores themes of pride, honor, and the clash between the powerful. It's a narrative thread that transcends its ancient origins, offering insights into human dynamics and leadership that still resonate in contemporary society. And so, with Mynane Ideathea, or Goddess Sing Rage, the Iliad unfolds. Achilles' withdrawal, his Plato's divine mother, and the divine intervention that ensues set the stage for the epic exploration of the complexities of war, heroism, and the human condition. In the heart of the Iliad, we encounter a clash of personalities, notably between the formidable Achilles and the commanding Agamemnon. To modern readers, their actions might seem petulant and selfish. However, for Homer and the Greeks, the narrative unfolds within the cultural context where issues of reputation, or as the Greeks termed it, kleos, of paramount importance. Kleos means fame and reputation, and it's usually applied to Trojan heroes like Achilles, and it's something that's usually heard more than seen, so it's rumour, but it's positive rumour about someone, and, and there's a, a term kleos apiton, which means undying glory or unwithering glory, and that's what ancient Greek warriors wanted to achieve. So for example, in the Iliad, it's far better for Achilles to be killed in battle and to be immortal. And we're still talking about him. He's been immortalized through literature and we're still talking about him. Whereas if he had just gone back to Greece and become a farmer and avoided the war or, um, or if he'd lived a long life, hadn't done these amazing deeds in war, there wouldn't be this sort of undying fame about him. So it was very much about having this sort of your reputation perpetuated through people saying how great you were. And so the Greek heroes' reputations were perpetuated in epic poetry. It's about having a great reputation, achieving fame through your great deeds and everyone hearing about it. Ancient Greek culture, profoundly rooted in shame rather than guilt, placed immense significance on how one was perceived. This cultural framework, largely based on competition, sought wealth, power, and renown with the fervor that often surpassed by its contemporary pursuits. We will explore the influence of competition in the culture and foundation of sports in a later episode. The Homeric ethic, distinct from modern notions of righteousness or compassion, reveals a world where cities are conquered, lives are taken, and the whims of gods dictate destinies. In this ethos, death is the great equalizer, 
rendering Hero and Foot Soldier alike as mere shadows in the realm of Hades. So what makes life worth living in this paradigm? On the most basic level, it's better than being dead. The Greeks lived for Arete and Kleos, for excellence and the glory and fame it brought. This stands in stark contrast to other ancient philosophies, notably the Hebrews, offering a unique ethical perspective that continues to influence our thinking today in the West. Reading the Iliad requires us to understand and respect characters like Achilles and Helen, despite their moral failings. Achilles, force of nature in battle, and Helen, a figure both hated and admired, embody qualities that transcend mere judgment. Their importance lies not in their morality, but in who they are and the indelible mark they leave on the narrative. The conclusion of the Iliad, with Achilles' complex emotional journey, adds layers to the ethical tapestry. While pity seems to play a role, the overarching ethic of Arte remains intact. Homer, in his bright despair, paints a worldview that, while seemingly pessimistic, recognizes the enduring significance of life even in the face of inevitable mortality. Many critics have termed this outlook as the bright despair of Homer. It might seem relentlessly pessimistic, but it carries a profound and singular perspective. Even a life snuffed out, according to this view, is not canceled or thoroughly vitiated. As Tennyson echoed in response, quote, Though much is taken, much abides. Unquote. The Odyssey, a sibling to the Iliad, is a tapestry woven with shrewdness and subtlety, a testament to the deft craftsmanship of the poet. It stands alongside Dante's Divine Comedy as a beacon of literary brilliance. What makes it exceptional is its sly response and profound reconception, the Homeric vision of Arete. Now, let's delve into the origins of the Odyssey. Traditionally considered a later work than the Iliad, it presupposes its predecessor. The Iliad resonates with rage and war. The Odyssey celebrates Nostos, the homecoming disrupted and destroyed by war. It represents the shift in tone, viewpoint, and the very issues it addresses. At the heart of the Odyssey is its hero, Odysseus, a character of remarkable complexity. Described as a polytropos, or a man of many turns, Odysseus embodies multifaceted excellence. While the Iliad primarily showcased martial prowess, the Odyssey widens the scope. It celebrates interior excellence, mental and moral prowess, achievement not confined by age, class, or gender. The Odyssey, in its celebration of Arete, introduces us to admirable characters beyond the realm of traditional heroes. Penelope, Eurycleia, and even Odysseus's son, Telemachus, exemplify excellence in various forms. So why Penelope is, you know, why would we would use that word Arate in regards to Penelope would be because she was clever. She was virtuous in that she resisted all those suitors for 20 years while Odysseus was first at Troy and then trying to get back from Troy. And she was a weaver and, and being a weaver was like one of the most virtuous 
things that a Greek woman could do. It was also one of the most necessary things to do because they had to make all the the textiles for the household. Penelope just sort of encapsulated that very ideal Greek woman. Of course, Odysseus is off having affairs all over the Mediterranean. She's at home waiting. She's got all these suitors who want to marry her not necessarily for herself, but for her house and and farm and possessions, she resists them. So she's thought to be very virtuous from an ancient Greek point of view. Even the loyal hunting dog, Argos, neglected and abandoned, displays a poignant form of arte in recognizing his master after years. The narrative takes a critical turn when confronting the suitors besieging Penelope. Well, they were quite annoying because they were eating all their food. They wouldn't go away. She didn't really want to marry any of them. They really just wanted to marry her for so that they could become the king of Ithaca. Unlike the traditional candidates for Arate, the suitors lack respect for Namos, the customary rules and expectations. Odyssey becomes a tale not just of heroism, but of what constitutes a viable society, a point emphasized in the second half of the epic. In later antiquity, the Odyssey was allegorically interpreted as a guide on achieving excellence and building a thriving society. Odysseus's travels, filled with marvelous encounters, symbolized the multifaceted journey toward excellence. His ability to overcome desires, demonstrate foresight, and persevere with resourcefulness paints a picture of the complete human being. The Greek Ideal The enduring influence of the Odyssey resonates in a way we perceive heroism and excellence today. Just as Odysseus faced challenges with resilience and versatility, we draw inspiration from these qualities in navigating the complexities of our contemporary life. This is a Sandify production, written, narrated, and produced by Esteban Galvez. Special thanks to Dr. Caroline Tolley and Dr. Tamara Lewitt at the University of Melbourne. If you like this episode, please share it. Follow and subscribe to our newsletter on our website. You can also view and purchase our other collection pieces at our website. Check out Dr. Tolley and Dr. Lewitt's curated exhibit, Ancient Lives, Insights on the Classics and the Archaeology Collection at the Porter Museum at the University of Melbourne. It is currently running until the 17th of May, 2024. Their exhibition gives a glimpse into the life of the ancient Greek and Roman world through everyday ritual and luxury objects. Links to their pages will be on our website. I would highly recommend checking it out.